Hey, you guys know my wife, Robin McGraw, has Robin McGraw Revelation, which is a great skincare product. And one of hers is called Let There Be Bright. This is a triple action brightening serum. It brightens the complexion and even skin tone with this seriously fast-acting serum that combines Lumiskin, lactic acid, and vitamin C. It's RobinMcGrawRevelation.com. That's the only place you can get it. And right now, you get 30% off all products. Just use code RMR30. RMR30. A loving mother in suburban Utah unexpectedly drowns in her bathtub, and her shocking death devastates the town's close-knit community. No one who knew Michelle McNeil could understand how such a healthy, vibrant woman could suddenly die at only 50 years old. While Michelle's children and siblings were still trying to wrap their heads around the fact that she was now gone, One person in her life seemed to be moving on with very little trouble. Her husband of 30 years, Dr. Martin McNeil. He had already sparked controversy with his behavior leading up to her death. He was the one who urged her to undergo plastic surgery, and Michelle suspected he was being unfaithful. Now that she was dead, he seemed to be wasting no time in carrying on with his life, and he expected his grown children to follow suit. He might have thought he had gotten his way, eliminated his problem. But why would he want this woman dead, the woman he had shared a life and family with? For the McNeil family, their mother's drowning would be just the tip of the iceberg when it came to their father's secrets. It was only a matter of time before they would discover that he was a far cry from the person he claimed to be, from the father they thought he was, from the husband he projected to the world that he was. Before long, they would meet the apple of Martin's eye, the woman he seemed willing to sacrifice everything for, Gypsy Jillian Willis. Now, I like to say the truth doesn't have versions, but when I spoke separately with Martin's daughter and his mistress, Gypsy, they each gave me polar opposite accounts of what happened. So you be the judge of who is telling the truth. That's all coming up on Devious Doctor, the life and lies of Dr. Martin McNeil. Mystery and murder. Analysis by Dr. Phil. I'm Dr. Phil. Remember, Michelle had spent much of her surgical recovery being cared for by her college-aged daughter, Alexis. And during that time, Michelle had voiced her concerns to Alexis about her father. She no longer trusted Martin. She even feared that he might very well kill her. That's right, her husband of 30 years. She feared that he might actually take her life. And now, sure enough, she was dead. 
A coincidence? Alexis certainly didn't think so. At this point, it seemed like her mother was right at least about one thing. Martin was having an affair. It all added up. His newfound preoccupation with improving his appearance and looking younger, plus his tendency to spend way more time at the office. Suddenly, the children's father seemed like a stranger to them. He was quick to anger. He was aloof. In the blink of an eye, it was like the father they knew, the father they thought they knew, was gone. And now, their mother was gone as well. Put yourself in Alexis' shoes. You've been caring for your mother, and she's saying she fears your own father. And now, as though prophetic, she's dead. Like Hamlet, Alexis felt she had to seek out the truth surrounding her parents' death. And if it was murder, she was committed. Justice needed to be served. She was now living under the same roof as the man she now believed had murdered her mother. She was scared herself. She didn't know what he was capable of. She began secretly investigating him, keeping a file on everything she could dig up. If, in fact, he was capable of killing her mother, was he, in fact, of killing her? If she was asking too many questions, was she putting herself in jeopardy? All of this while she was grieving the loss of the mother, the role model that she grew up with. One night while he slept, she went to his computer and printed out his phone records. There was a phone number that appeared on his call log quite a bit. It was a number for a woman named Gypsy. With a name like Gypsy, Alexis and her sister Rachel thought their father might be carrying on with the stripper. So exactly who was this woman? And how had she entered their lives? Let me back up a little bit. How did did you meet him? I met him online in 2005. And so then you met in the real world? Yes. And you hit it off? Yes. Did he tell you then that he was married or did he let you think he was single? Uh, It was was a little while after I'd actually met him, I believe. That he confessed to you that had you been intimate with him at that point? No. So if we're to believe Gypsy's account, Martin initially misled her and represented himself as a single man. Or to play the devil's advocate, you could say that Gypsy was just trying to cast herself in a better light when she interviewed with me. However, Martin has shown a pattern of lying or omitting facts in order to get what he wants or to make himself appear a certain way. So, I have to admit, it isn't totally far-fetched. It isn't totally out of the question to think that he could have lied to Gypsy the same way he seemed to be lying to everyone else in his life. He's demonstrated a knack for deception. He could have plotted to rope her in with charm, which is a known tactic for manipulators before he disclosed to her that he had a wife. Maybe it was some of both. Maybe he got her involved. Maybe he got her emotionally committed before 
He disclosed to her that in fact he was married and who knows what he told her about that marriage. When I spoke to Gypsy, she explained why she was comfortable with this situation. Uh, so when you started having an affair with him, when you started having intimate relations with him, you knew he was married. Yes. And did that bother you at all, that I'm sleeping with someone else's husband? I'm an interloper here? My, my mindset back then, and, and I realized it is not the best. I had been married once. I looked around me and I did not see marriage working out for too many people. And so my attitude towards that was, if someone else is married, that is their responsibility, that is their life, it is completely separate from me. And I have come to see that that attitude has caused a lot of, a lot of pain in a lot of people and it was never intended to be. Did he talk to you about his marriage? A little. Did he love his wife? He said he loved his wife and she was a perfect wife and he had a perfect family. Did she know he was having an affair with you? I don't think so. Now, clearly, when you talk about Gypsy and you realize that she did, in fact, know that he was married, whatever his explanations and excuses may have been, we are talking about the stereotypical, quote, other woman. And, of course, there are hostile opinions out there about Gypsy. But I do believe justified or otherwise, she was in love with this man and on board to do what it took to be with him. Does that justify her being involved? Of course not. But for her, that meant accepting that he had a wife and a family and that he wasn't fully available to her. Now, it's only too easy to paint her as the villain who seduced Martin. While it goes without saying that it's not above board that she knowingly carried on an affair, she made the point to me that his family and his marital status were his responsibility. Now, you have to make up your own mind how you feel about that. To me, that sounds like a lot of excuses and a lot of justification. That may be his responsibility but it's your choice whether you choose to get involved with someone that is married to someone else and has a family. And I've always said people are so naive about this because if they will do it with you, they will definitely do it to you. Now, her responsibility as the other woman is accepting that what she is doing could hurt others like his wife and children. She can say, look, it's his situation. He's responsible for it. But you cannot absolve yourself from it. You are an interloper. You are injecting yourself into someone else's marriage. And when you are the interloper, as I brought up to her in our interview, you not only risk harming others, you also risk bringing harm onto yourself. The success of people who start relationships with infidelity is not good. As the woman he was having an affair with, allegedly for years, Gypsy was on the outside looking in, and that's how it goes. You're a secret. You're not spending Christmas morning with a man or having Sunday night dinners with him. 
You're only getting a piece of the person you want, and you're doing it in the shadows. It's also interesting to note that Gypsy says he told her he had a perfect wife, when in fact he was making Michelle feel insecure and like she needed to change in order to please him, hence the plastic surgery. Hearing Gypsy's perspective was fascinating for me because I felt like I got insight into how she felt about Martin and what she felt she represented for him. Did he ever mention to you about divorcing his wife and being with you? No, no, there was, there was never any serious conversation like that at all. I mean, there, there were a period, I, I, was, I was kind of the escape, I felt. So he would, he would come and see me and we would, we would you know, enjoy our time together. And I felt that I was the escape. And so, you know, just in passing, you know, there were, there were moments of frustration in his life, but it was not something we really delved into and there was never any serious conversation like that at all. She says she viewed herself at least initially as, quote, an escape for him. She was a break from his real life. I've seen photos of them together. Their arms are wrapped around each other. He's grinning ear to ear. As their affair went on, it became clear that this was not just a fling for either of them. It was serious. He even put her up in an apartment and was paying her rent. There's only so long that kind of secret can stay a secret. Of course, we know that Alexis alleges that her mother knew full well about this affair and had confronted Martin about it. When I spoke with Gypsy, however, she claimed to not know anything about this whatsoever. One of his daughters had said that days before her death that they had been fighting about an affair. You didn't know that? I didn't know about any. Is it possible that he had concealed from her that his wife knew? Well, of course it is. But having his wife put two and two together might not have been such a bad thing in Gypsy's eyes. Then maybe Michelle would leave him and he would finally be available for Gypsy. Then maybe the two of them could ride off into the sunset. During my interview with her, I wanted to make sure I was giving Gypsy the benefit of the doubt. While I needed to ask her the questions that were on all of America's minds, I also knew that treating her like a criminal wasn't going to get me far. I wanted to give her the chance to have her voice heard. And I meant that with all sincerity, because I don't care how flat you make a pancake, it's got two sides, and I wanted to hear hers. Because if there's one thing I had concluded about the good doctor, it was that he was highly manipulative. He played people. He sucked people in. And why would you assume that Gypsy was not a victim of exactly that skill set? Alexis, on the other hand, made no secret about her impression of Gypsy right from the start. She's an actress. I mean, I, I've just gotten to know who Gypsy Willis is, and she is a lot like my father. Now, Martin claimed he didn't want any tension or pushback regarding his relationship with his new fiance, but he's the one that created this situation. His expectations were so narcissistic, I can't even begin to describe that. He pitted these women against each other. Alexis was over 18, so while her younger siblings were more inclined to just believe the old adage that father knows best, she knew that having this woman who was a virtual stranger to them just move in was suspicious. 
It was beyond suspicious. It stunk to high heaven, and she knew it. With her mother gone, it's understandable that the eldest daughter, Alexis, felt like she should be the one taking charge and becoming the woman of the household. She had already been thrust into the caretaker role with her mother, plus she didn't exactly trust her father anymore because of what her mother had said to her. Think about that. You've grown up with this mother and father. You've looked at them, respected them. You've been a model family in the community. And then your mother pulls you to the side and says, hey, if I wind up dead, you need to take a hard look at dad here because I don't trust him anymore. Now, that comes true. And the woman who she knows has been sleeping with her father all of a sudden just shows up and is entering the fold. That has to be threatening. That has to be disconcerting. Look, this was not a stupid man. One could argue that he didn't want to help create a bond between the woman in his life and his children. In a way, a divide between them, a lack of trust, ensured that Martin could control the narrative with both parties by keeping them from getting close together, by keeping them from comparing notes. It would be better for him, from this narcissistic controlling situation, to have some tension between them so he could get the children to one side and tell them one story, get Gypsy to the other side, tell her another story, and there the two should meet. Now, of course, they did meet, but he could make sure that the dialogue was not in depth. There didn't seem to be any chance of them getting close. His oldest daughters, they just did not trust Gypsy one bit. They felt like there was more to the story of this new woman in their home. Martin's daughters were not the only ones who had less than stellar reviews of Gypsy. Life hadn't always been rosy for her. She had a fraught relationship with her own family, and according to her, she had grown up with conservative parents. Her father was a doctor, and she was raised in a very strict Mormon household. According to Gypsy, her parents deeply disapproved when she became pregnant before marriage. You heard her describe to me her negative views on marriage. She attributed this to winding up in an abusive marriage, which ended in her leaving her husband and taking her child to move back in with her family. Now, her parents eventually adopted this child, a daughter, and this family drama allegedly increased the divide between them. Her own sister described her as deceptive and malevolent and claimed she was prone to having fights. Gypsy's former roommate seemed to echo her family's assertions. She says Gypsy had no interest in remaining Martin's mistress forever. She called Gypsy a schemer, someone who wanted to get her hooks in Martin and take Michelle's place. Gypsy is master manipulator. She's a con artist. She's a lot like my father. Gypsy's former roommates came forward and said that Gypsy wanted to kill my mother, that she had talked about cutting my mother's brakes on her car and having her her die in a car crash. And they had said to her, Gypsy, you know, she has young children. And Gypsy said, they'll probably be okay. They'll be in car seats. Now, that's a downright chilling accusation. Ball all this up together here. We've got the mother of children found dead in a bathtub. We have Alexis alleging that Gypsy's roommate had talked about Gypsy plotting to kill her mother. I mean, who are these people? What are they thinking about? 
When I brought this up to her, she didn't seem concerned. She stayed cool as a cucumber. Now, something to notice about Gypsy is she never seems to get flustered. She never misses a beat. You ask her a question, she's got an answer. She doesn't hesitate. She said there was no way this could be true, as she wasn't even living with a roommate during her courtship with Martin. Mystery and Murder, Analysis by Dr. Phil. Before we get back to the story we're talking about today, I want to share something with you. You're about to enjoy a trailer of what's coming up on Dr. Phil for the rest of the month of May. I've made a decision that we've all reached saturation levels, what I call category fatigue. We have been looking and listening and thinking about coronavirus and COVID-19 24-7 for about six weeks now. And I am of the strong belief that we need a break. Let's get back to some of the content that we really find interesting, entertaining, educational, relatable, informative, and instructive. And right before we got shut down for the pandemic, we had just taped a series of shows that we had compiled to air in May. That's a time that we save some of our favorite best shows for because that's an important time for our advertisers. So I've made the decision for the remainder of this month, we're going to do a look back and show all new original shows that were shot before the pandemic. They're back on stage, back in studio, exciting, full of energy, and really, really good shows. Here's a peek at what you're going to see for the rest of the month of May. All this May, Dr. Phil is back with all new shows recorded before the stay-at-home order. I was an actor, a model, a Hollywood body double. A mysterious illness. If I don't force-feed myself, my body will go into an attack. She feels atomic hunger and feels as if she's being electrocuted. All new drama. You've been putting men ahead of her for a long time. You have been doing nothing but criminal activities. Am I going to pack her off somewhere for 90 days so you can take a break? Hell no. All new stories. 74-year-old Norma says she's in love with three different men she's never even met in person. She says they are stuck in foreign countries. The grand total that you have sent to Jeff is $223,710.50. I was trying to help him get home. For a quarter million dollars, you could buy an airplane and fly home. Dr. Phil is all new, all this May. Hey, you know, we're coming into springtime, and it looks like we're going to have a lot of time sitting around home, so shopping online is the smart play. You can give yourself a springtime spruce up and enjoy brighter, healthier skin thanks to my wife, Robin McGraw's Revelations Brightening Trio. This unique triple action skin brightening kit will help you shine bright all day, every day by eliminating sunspots, rejuvenating dull skin, and restoring your youthful glow. This trio features Let There Be Bright, Starlight Face Bright, and Twinkle Twinkle, You're a Star. And you can only get them at RobinRegalRevelation.com. And right now, you get 30% off all products. 30% off all products. Just use code RMR30. RMR30. But let's get back to Michelle. At first, 
police didn't conduct much of an investigation into her death. When she was found in that bathtub, there was no evidence collected at the scene, and her death was initially ruled natural by the medical examiner. In fact, the police report was only a couple of paragraphs long. The end of the report read, and I quote, Martin told Officer Ritter that she had been taking a lot of medication since surgery. He said he found her hunched over the tub as if she had passed out while preparing the bath. Nothing further. To be so sedated that you pass out while drawing a bath and then subsequently drowned, that would be a tragic accident. That is, if it were true. Notice that at every opportunity, Martin is making it known how heavily medicated she was. He's portraying her as someone who'd become a pill popper, saying that she was on an extreme amount of medication, but not emphasizing the fact that it was because of his suggestion. She didn't prescribe that medication. She didn't set the dosages. She didn't set the combinations. He did. At this point, the case might have been open and shut in the eyes of the law, but for Martin's daughter, Alexis. Because of her, the mystery was only deepening. Three days after she died, Martin wanted to have Michelle's funeral. This seemed rather hasty. Not only did he want a speedy funeral, he forbade Michelle's side of the family, the Summers, from attending. According to Michelle's relatives, he threatened that if any of them tried to attend, he would call the police and have them escorted out. We talked about how right from the start, Michelle's family, well, they just didn't care for Martin. They inherently had a bad feeling about him, just an intuition that something wasn't right. To now try to deprive them of their right to pay their respects at their own sister's funeral speaks to his character. It's the ultimate power move. He's telling them, you don't get to say goodbye. I'm running this show. I'm in control. And you're on the outside looking in. A funeral is the last business of a person's life. It's a time to not only grieve them, but to also celebrate them. It's a rite of passage. It's a time where you publicly honor this person. You memorialize them. You speak of them with reverence. You commend them to God. He deprived them of that chance. He did not want them to have that chance, which was very important in this family's church. Now, many families don't see eye to eye, but to decree that they are not welcome at a funeral demonstrates animosity, and coldness at a whole other level. And as I've said, when you're a narcissist, you don't really look at how that's going to play. You only see it from your point of view. Because if you had empathy, you would look at that and say, you know what, I need to be the bigger person here. This isn't going to play well around town. It's not going to play well with the family. According to his daughters, rather than seeming forlorn, Martin was downright jovial at Michelle's funeral. Alexis said he made himself the focus of her eulogy and that he was even joking around at the luncheon after about how he was now a bachelor. Strange to be sure, but this wasn't even the most surprising part of the funeral. 
As it turns out, while Martin may have wanted to exclude his in-laws, there was an unexpected mourner lurking in the background of the ceremony. A dark-haired woman, a striking woman, a woman named Gypsy. Did he invite you to her funeral? No, he didn't invite me. I, I wanted to go and, and pay my respects. You understand how that sounds to people because you disrespected her in life, but you wanted to pay your respects to her in death. I, I felt sorry. I felt sorry that I had been involved um, inappropriately before it was a possibility. Um, I knew that he had really respected her. Um, she had held his world together. I was so sorry for his family. And no one knew who I was. I didn't, I didn't think anyone would ever know. I just wanted to go and Pay my respects to Michelle and, and tell Martin I hoped he was all right. Show support for him. Look, she may have felt bad, but if she was going to show up at this woman's funeral, the wife of the man she was having an affair with, she might as well have shown up in a bright red dress. It was a brazen move. It's just as interesting to note that during this time that Martin claimed to be in mourning, Gypsy was sending him suggestive photos of herself. Now, according to court documents, there was an assertion that you texted him 30 times that day, not the day of the funeral, but oh, of her death. death. Did you? I, I don't know the exact number. It was until somewhere in the hour of 4 p.m. It was a day like any other day. And so our routine would just be to you know, to contact each other when there was time and we felt inclined to. Did you text him twice during the funeral? Um, I did. During the actual service? I, I think so, something like that. And he replied after the funeral was over. You sent him seductive pictures the day after he buried his wife. True? They were, they were pretty tame. But yes, there were photos that were sent. Martin welcomed her attention. He wanted her at that funeral. Look at it this way. She claimed no one would recognize her if she went, but there was one person who definitely would, her lover. The widower who was supposed to be despondent over his wife's death. It was the time for him to be focusing on celebrating her life, mourning her passing, leading his family, unifying his family. But don't forget what Martin wants, Martin gets. If he didn't want Gypsy there, he would have let her know that. He did not instruct her not to come or threaten to kick her out as he had done to his in-laws. In-laws, not welcome. Mistress, come on down. By allowing her to be there, Martin was making his point crystal clear. There was a new woman in his life, and she was about to be part of his children's lives now, too, whether they liked it or not. Now, here's where this story takes on a twist worthy of a soap opera, as though it hasn't already. Shortly after the funeral, Gypsy moved in and became the children's nanny. That's right. Shortly after the funeral, the woman that had been cheating with the dead mother's husband moves into the house 
and starts caring for the dead woman's children. She becomes the nanny. Of course, Martin's eldest daughters found this, well, just beyond bizarre. They knew at this point that their affair had been going on for years. Now she was supposed to walk in and be their nanny? Also, the way that she was hired just seems, well, bizarre. Give a listen to Alexis and what she has to say about it. Shortly after my mother's funeral, my father told my sister Rachel, we need to find a nanny. Let's go to the temple and we can pray about it. As they were waiting outside of the temple, this woman came up to my sister and my father and said, I was at the funeral, I'm so sorry for your loss. And my dad looked at her and said, what's your name again? And she'd said, Jillian. He later found out that was Gypsy. They'd set up this encounter with Rachel as an introduction to then bring her in as the nanny. The girls tried to stand up to him, but to no avail. They claimed that Martin was adamant that he needed a nanny's help and that Gypsy was the best one for the position. As far as his daughters knew, she was the only one Martin ever considered hiring in the first place. Now, say what you will about Gypsy at this point, but keep in mind, this is Martin's family, and as their father, he is the one responsible for taking care of his children and making decisions that benefit them during this time. This whole house of cards is based on deception. He is not being truthful with his oldest daughters. He's trying to have Gypsy masquerade as the nanny, but come on, nobody believes that. I don't think anybody driving up and down the street believes that. The girls know exactly who this woman is to their father. They know that they're romantically involved, and now they're supposed to play house with this woman? By orchestrating this run-in with Gypsy at the Mormon temple and having her use her middle name to introduce herself, he's just making the situation seem all more eerie and like something's afoot. What, what is he hiding if there's nothing to hide? He's also proving he only cares about his own desires. What compassionate father would have his mistress waiting in the wings, ready to come in and take over, starting at the funeral? This is someone that is the epitome of selfish. No empathy for the daughters whatsoever. He doesn't stop and think, you know, what happens when these daughters discover that this is the woman that I was cheating on their mother with? How are they going to feel if they have formed a relationship with her, if they have treated her with kindness as they've been raised to do, if they feel that they have now betrayed their mother by forging a relationship with this, quote, nanny, only to find out that she was the potential motive for their mother's very death. But again, Mark's not concerned about their feelings. He's the one in control, and he uses this tactic of acting like others are just being melodramatic and overreacting. When the fact is, he is being so outrageously insensitive that it would be hard to overreact. By trying to force his children to accept Gypsy coming into their home, he is creating an issue that will last 
and create problems for them, potentially for the rest of their lives. Now, I've spoken with many fractured families where a spouse has passed. I've been doing this a long time. It's monumentally important that the parent takes their time if they move on and introduce a new romantic interest. And they also take the feelings of the children into consideration. Do they need to get the child's permission? Do they let the children set the agenda? No. But there is such a thing as human decency. There is such a thing as taste and decorum. And I think having that replacement at the mother's funeral and then having her move into the house violates every moray, every folkway, every expectancy unless you've been raised by wolves. He has absolutely no respect for anybody's thoughts, feelings, or wishes except his own. Alexis alleges that it wasn't long after Gypsy moved in that she made it clear she didn't have much interest in cooking, cleaning, or caring for the younger children. Nanny just wasn't on her mind. Any kind of definition of Nanny was not what she thought she should be expected to do. She had allegedly gotten what she wanted, and now she was his sole focus. She was living with him, and she certainly didn't look at it as being the hired help. You move in nine days after he buries this woman into her house, right? Yes. Why? Why? Martin and his family were in, in deep chaos, and um, you know, I my background was nursing. I thought I could help. So nine days, nine days after they've buried this woman, she moves in, and tensions continue to build between Martin and his daughters. Anyone could see that. They say that whenever they confronted him about their new nanny. Martin would just become irate and then flip it around on them and say that Gypsy was a guest in their home. Wait a minute, I thought she was an employee. But no, no, no. He says she is a guest in their home and they needed to show her respect. You heard Gypsy tell me she moved in in part because of her nursing background. Martin claimed to have a myriad of health issues ranging from multiple sclerosis to cancer in his toe. The story he peddled was that he needed Gypsy there not only to tend to his children, but also to help him with his medical problems. Yeah, you remember, he's a doctor, but he needed her to help him with his toe. It might sound laughable, but he was very vocal about how these ailments affected him. He even claimed that part of the reason he couldn't lift his wife out of the tub was due in part to his so-called toe cancer. When it came down to Gypsy versus his children, Martin chose sides. And guess who won? The children lost. Gypsy was in the catbird seat every single time. His daughter, Rachel, alleges that she was unceremoniously kicked out of the house without her phone because she refused to be kind to Gypsy. He had no qualms in cutting off his own flesh and blood if they stood in his way. He was clearly, clearly taken with this woman. 
A few months into her moving in, he accompanied her on a trip to Wyoming to meet her family. Because we all know you've got to meet the nanny's family. This is what Gypsy's mother had to say about Martin. He said, I never loved Michelle, but I love Gypsy. And I said, but she had a family with Michelle. He says, actually, I loved her as a friend. I loved her as a sister, but I never loved her like I loved Gypsy. He never romantically loved Michelle? Now, come on. You're just saying whatever serves you at the time. Unless we're dealing with someone that's just incapable of feelings who wore a mask of normalcy for 30 years? Martin keeps proving that you just simply can't believe a word he says. He will say anything at the time. Michelle was considered the belle of the ball, a true catch, and anyone who knew them during the course of much of their marriage said he was very much in love with her. So he was lying now, he was lying then. And with a man like him, well, it could very well be both. It's also dishonorable to speak of your wife who has passed in such a way. What could possibly be gained by demeaning her in that way? To say, I never loved her. What could possibly be gained? How could anyone think that is becoming to them to speak of their dead wife in that way? It reflects not on Michelle. It reflects brightly on Martin. And it is so odd to me that Gypsy did not look at this and say, wow, I wonder when it will be my turn to be spoken of just that way. Now that he could be with Gypsy, he wasn't going to waste any time. First, he moved her in. Then he proposed. For a frame of reference, Michelle had not even been buried for 90 days before he turned around and popped the question to Gypsy. Now, the timing of this surprised Gypsy's own family. He knelt down and professed his love to her during the very same visit. According to her family, he seemed like a man truly in love and invested in building a future with her. He wept as he asked her for her hand in marriage. At this point, he doesn't even seem to be pretending to grieve for his wife. He's acting as though he is above reproach. That is in his rearview mirror. It is all about the here and now and what's coming up on the horizon. As far as he's concerned, the case on Michelle is closed. He's not a suspect in her death, and he has every right to move on at whatever pace he deems fit. Of course a narcissist would think that because it's only their agenda that matters. And in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, I could be wrong. But that's how this is justified in his mind, in my opinion. According to Gypsy, this seemed like a natural progression. Well, it might have been natural for Gypsy and Martin because they'd been involved so long they were head over heels for each other, but for everyone else, this engagement was a shell-shocking development. Now, of course, you have to realize they hadn't been around for all of this long courtship that they had been through. They missed out on that because that was hidden. 
this seems sudden to everybody else because they weren't there for all the buildup. Had he killed his wife? If so, at this point, it seemed like he was going to get away with it. Michelle was gone, and Gypsy was his bride-to-be. And just as his daughters were trying to piece together evidence against him, he had cast them out of the house and essentially disowned them. On our next episode, we'll dive into Martin's next move in his dangerous game of chess. He was about to find out that he might not be as untouchable as he thought. I found that arrogance catches up with people. There's only so much someone can get away with before there are consequences for their misdeeds. I've often said, when you choose the behavior, you choose the consequences. Was it about to come home? Was this all about to come around and prove karma's a bitch? And now the people who were most determined to expose the truth about Martin were his very own children. And what he would do next would show just how far he was willing to go to win. That's all coming up next. You've been listening to Devious Doctor. The Life and Lies of Dr. Martin McNeil. Mystery and Murder. Analysis by Dr. Phil. I am Dr. Phil. All this May, Dr. Phil is back with all new shows recorded before the stay-at-home order. I was an actor, a model, a Hollywood body double. A mysterious illness. If I don't force feed myself, my body will go into an attack. She feels atomic hunger and feels as if she's being electrocuted. All new drama. You've been putting men ahead of her for a long time. You have been doing nothing but criminal activities. Am I going to pack her off somewhere for 90 days so you can take a break? Hell no. All new stories. 74-year-old Norma says she's in love with three different men she's never even met in person. She says they are stuck in foreign countries. The grand total that you have sent to Jeff is $223,710.50. I was trying to help him get home. For a quarter million dollars, you could buy an airplane and fly home. Dr. Phil is all new, all this May.